Well, I want to share with you a New Year's message. Now, I know that for some of you, we're getting ready. Our kids go back to school. Hey. Yes, this, is, this morning was the last lie-in of the Christmas holidays, if you've got children. So, uh, well done. Uh, and now we have to go all the way through to spring break. And so, um, so it was a great time. The Collins family had a good Christmas, and uh, we spent a lot of our times playing lots of good, fun games. I'm sure you did as well. Uh, we, after me talking about Mastermind, we played Mastermind, uh, which was great and enjoyed that immensely. And a game that we discovered when we first came to Canada called Blockers. Anybody play Blockers? Oh, look at this. This is, this, this is exciting stuff. And apples and pears or oranges or some, anyway, some card game. And that was, that was very good. What I really want to share with you about is, is as we enter 2015, how many of us have made New Year's resolutions? Yes? Maybe not. Maybe you don't admit to them. Maybe you have already broken them. I will not eat chocolate anymore. I'm going to lose 10 pounds. I'm going to do this. I'm going to engage. I'm going to exercise every day. Oh, it's been snowing. Shame. I'm going to walk. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make decisions. Very often what happens is this. New Year's Eve, we start to think about our goals. We start to think about the way we're going to run our life differently. We start to consider these issues. Where I want to take you is this place. I'm going to take you to a place called Romans 12, where it talks about the renewing of the mind. And what I want to do is teach you biblically about what it means to have the renewing of the mind. So if you made it out through the snowstorm this morning, God bless you, because I know that what I teach you, if you apply it, will change your life. And if you're not a Christian, if you listen to the words I'm going to share... And then you start to consider the power of Christ in your life or you're flirting with faith or you're looking into faith. Then I do believe that this message for you can also make a massive difference because of the way that we think. And where I want us to end up is really some practical applications about God helping us think in a correct godly way instead of thinking often in the way that we do think, which can be so negative, so destructive. We can have these rogue thoughts running around our heads. We can have chaotic thoughts at work within our minds. I don't know about you, but maybe you experience rogue, chaotic thoughts going around your head. Or maybe you are just so godly that you never think anything negative in your life. I didn't think so. But... We've got to be willing to address and think to ourselves, I've entitled this, Capture the Chaotic. And so we're going to talk about what it means to capture the chaotic within our lives and bring it under the control of Christ and bring it under his control because of those niggling little things that are going on in our lives, in our minds, and working and going on. And if you're like me, you find that. Something happened in our home this winter over the Christmas period. We heard some rattling going on. 
And we wondered, and I got up that morning, and Michelle is usually the first one up. And she sits there and has a quiet time and a prayer time, and then I follow her. Because I'm tired. And I follow her for my quiet time, probably about 30, 40 minutes later. The sun hasn't quite risen, and she looks at me this morning. She says, you've got to do something. I said, what do I have to do? You have to sort out. We've got a mouse. Oh. Now, this happens in British Columbia, doesn't it? Because you live, and we live by orchards. We live where mice come in. And let's be honest, the mice there, they want to get into the warmth. So... She says, you've got to do so. I said, yes, I will, darling. I'll, I'll sort the mouse out. Well, it's making lots of noise. It sounds like it's a really big mouse. She says, oh, okay, okay. Anyway, I forgot about it. Next morning, I got up and to join in a quiet time, and she looked at me. She said, what's going on? I said, you have got to do something about that mouse. It's now in the kid's bedroom, and I can hear it rustling around. They must have sweets from England underneath their bed, and that, that mouse must be feasting on those sweets. Do something. Yes, I will. The next morning, oh, I forgot. So I said, I will go to Cooper's and buy a mouse trap. So I went to Cooper's and bought a mouse trap, and I was there presented in Cooper's, and you have lots of choice. You have the natural, is it Victor trap or V trap or I don't know, the trap that you have to put down. I always find those a little tricky. <laughs> I really do. I'm like, it takes me about five attempts. And then when you put the peanut butter on, something I've discovered in Canada, you like to put peanut butter on your traps. But it makes it oil and slippy. So I put the peanut butter, then I do this and pa. And so I thought, no, this time I'm going to go for one of those sticky traps. <laughs> so that, that night, I said, darling, I will sort out it. your husband and head of the home and your... Mighty Huntsman has arrived. <laughs> so I put it underneath one of the kids' uh, cupboards, and I left it there, and it's glue. You take off the top, and it has a, a scent that attracts the mouse. Hmm. I didn't think this would work, but I put it anyway, and the next morning, I walked in. I said, how are you doing, darling? She said, I think we've caught the mouse. I said, why? Well, I can hear this little plastic thing flapping around. Oh! Now, mice are vermin. Mice carry 25 diseases known to humans which can affect us. They continually spread disease and vermin. I've done my food safe. I know this. So then I went in and I'm looking and it's flapping around and it's glued and I pull it out and there it's looking at me and it's fat. It has really gorged on English cabbage chocolate. And there it is, and we found where it had been. And it was, and it was looking at me. Eh, eh, eh. I'm going to die, but I've died well. And, and so I lifted up, and, and all the kids want to look at it. Can we look at it, Dad? And it's, eh, no. And I take it outside, and then I take a brick and I kill it. But... <laughs> 
I didn't know what to do. And I want to remind you, 25 diseases known to man. 25 diseases that could have affected my family. It rattled around in our house for five days, the fat little mouse, and it annoyed us. We knew it was there, and there was only one thing to do at the end, and that was to take a brick to it. And you know, the problem is, is this exactly what we need to do with some of the thoughts that affect our lives. Things are rattling around in your head like a little mouse and they affect you. They affect the way you think. They affect the way you are. And really, we have to be willing to deal with the vermin and with the toxic things that affect our lives because if we don't, they can breed and they can grow and they can get out of control and we know what can happen at that point, don't we? And you and I know this. You know this even if you're... I haven't discovered the goodness of God. You know how it can get out of control. You know how we can feed it. You know how we can entertain it. You know how we can excuse it. You know the things that we can do in our lives. We see it all the time with the way people think, the way people act. And yet the truth is this, when we become Christ followers, what God calls us to do, he calls us to step into a transformational way of the way that we think. And we know that these negative thoughts affect our state, they affect our emotions, they affect our characters, and every one of us needs to step into a point where we know that we can be transformed in our mind by the power and the truth of Christ. That God wants us to think a very different way. And when we think a very different way, we are free. And if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. So what's rattling around in your house? And is it time? So let's go right there for a moment to some verses. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 is really interesting. And we're going to take a moment, and as we take a moment, we're going to look at it and think about it. And apply it to some of the thoughts that we've talked about. It says, therefore, I urge you. Now look at that, urge. Urge you. That's a, that's a pretty interesting word, actually. It actually means I will use any form of verbal communication to get my message through to you. It's a broad Greek word. It is a word in the language that says, if this works, I'll do it. If this works, I'll try this. But it's so important what I'm about to tell you. I want to urge you to make a difference. I do this in my own life, with my own family. We communicate in different ways. And if you've got many children, I have four, you learn to communicate them and urge them to do things in different ways, correct? With the small ones, it's simple. You shout. And, and they come running. Come on, let's go. And there they come, perfect, lovely, smiling. Teenagers. At the age of 13, they go deaf. And so you shout, and nobody comes. You shout, and nobody comes. 
But I've worked a different way to urge them to do what I want them to do. To urge. Shouting does not work, but I'll tell you what does. Texting works. (laughs) I text them, and not only text them, but I text bomb them. Now, if you don't know what that is, it's beautiful. You just cut and paste and keep sending it. And it comes through. And they give up. And they walk upstairs. It's wonderful. God bless you. Parenting skills by Phil Collins. So, and this is what the apostle is doing. He is actually saying, this is what I'm urging you. I don't care how I communicate. I'll shout it in your face. I'll whisper it to you. I'll counsel you. I'll use whatever form. But the urge is a bro. Come on, I need to tell you this in whatever way works for you. Because if you get this right, you will experience, why are you driven by this? He says, brothers and sisters, in view of what? In view of God's great mercy. And everything leads us back to the cross. And in view of God's great mercy, his great mercy to us, his great compassion shown to us through the cross and shown to us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You can hear Paul's mind whirring. It is utterly to do with his great sacrifice on the cross that he's given us great mercy and compassion that what I'm going to teach you is the ongoing work of what Christ did upon the cross. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is the thing. This is not a new statement. It's used many times with different writers in the New Testament about offering your life as a, as a living sacrifice. When you worship this morning, you offer your life as a living sacrifice. You're not just singing songs. You're not just coming again, oh, Curtis. Get on with it. Is mm, it not? It is, a, it is a process. It is something that is, that is engaging you often when you do charity, it, when you preach, when you engage in life of church in, in the New Testament, you are giving your body in an act of service. And that's why those things are so important that we give ourselves in act of service. So he's saying, okay, understand this. I'm urging you, you have given yourself in act of service. You are following, and this is holy and pleasing to God. And this is your true worship. He's put the Golf ball on the tee, and he's about ready to tee off into what he really wants to say. Because as he uses these words, true and proper worship, this is intelligent. You have been reflecting on it. You know that deep down within you, as you are being intelligent... As you are reflecting, as you are allowing your heart to understand God's God's presence, this sense of who you are is a thoughtful, thought-through process that I've urged you to be people given over to God. I've urged you to be worshippers who are intelligent, who are thoughtful, who are reflective, who understand who they are in their relationship with God. So he's lining it up here. He's saying, come on, believers. Come on, get your mind straight. You've given your whole life to God. You've learned to worship with intelligence, with reflection, and with depth, and with passion. And now I want to tell you something something in the 12th chapter. What did you want to tell us? 
Listen to this. Don't conform. Don't conform. If I was to translate this part of this verse, it would be very simply, don't step on the catwalk of life and follow the fashions of this world. Be different. Act differently. Think differently. He's building this in. He's saying don't conform. Don't allow the style and the attitudes and the selfie culture that we create where we live in our own little worlds in the 21st century. And you know the fashion of the 21st century. You know what influences. You know what attitudes affect us. You know how we learn to think. And he's saying to us, get off the catwalk of our society and the culture and concentrate on the things above and realize that the pattern that I want you to be forged in and the shape is a very different shape to this world. And how do we appear to be a very different shape to this world? Well, the way that we appear to be a different shape and a different people and a free people and a renewed people is by the renewing of the mind. See, what he doesn't want us to do He doesn't want us, the word pattern there, he doesn't want you to be formed or forged, actually. Forging your mind into the pattern of the world's thinking, but he wants to forge your mind into the view and the truth of heaven and the view and the truth of the word of God and the view and the work of the Holy Spirit within you. And you can have a transformed mind. You can know this. So let's, uh, what's he really saying then? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. You'll be transformed. You see, this is very important, the renewing of the mind, whatever this actually means, is because when you get this, then you will be able to test and approve God's will. How many of us struggle with God's will and testing God's will? And very often we want to know God's will, but the reason we find it different is because we've never experienced a true renewing of the mind. And the skeptic within me, having been around church life for 35 years, looks at Christians and think, well, they got God's mercy and compassion in the cross right and forgiveness, but actually the way that they think and the things that hold them, that some of them and those I meet are as insecure, as bitter, as offended, as jealous, as frustrated as any pagan I have met. Now, that may be me, the skeptic. Is that your experience? You don't have to answer me. But I think for some of us, We realize that what it says on the tin is not what we experience in reality. The mice are in the house and it's time that you get rid of them and deal with them. And they're feeding on the cabris of your life. So when you understand that and start to believe it, you start to see. So let's look at the renewing of the mind and transformation. What is going on in his thinking in this? Well, for those theologians amongst you, 
there is a very strong link with the terminology of the transformation of the mind is linked to the idea of when Jesus stood on a mountain and Elijah Moses came to him and the glory of the Lord came and God's power was at work and suddenly there they saw the disciples saw who Jesus Christ really was in his transfiguration and they were like this is amazing you are incredible you are blazing you are glorious you are magnificent Magnificent, And in this sense, Paul, I feel, is linking this that within our mind, we can experience the glory of God. That we look at Christ and our mind becomes filled with the revelation of how glorious Jesus Christ is. That's a good place to start, isn't it? The Apostle Paul is also probably referring with new mind to Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, which is the great chapter on resurrection of the body, the age to come, the new body. Isn't that good? You've made all your New Year's resolutions, but in an age to come, you're going to have a new body. Do I hear an amen? (laughs) You're not quite sure, but you will. An uncorruptible body. But here, he links the idea Probably also in his mind in that in the age to come you will have a new body. But in the age now you can have a new mind. And are we willing to have a reconditioned mind? Are we willing to start to think differently? Are we willing to start to act differently? Are we willing, as the Apostle Paul is talking, to step into a different way of thinking and allow our lives? You say, but how does this really work then? If he's talking about transforming our minds, if he's talking about this. You see, can I just say something? We, you and I, give too much real estate to negative things in our thinking that don't deserve that space in our lives. We spend too much time on this. Spend too much time thinking about it. It's a bit like the neighbor or, or, you know, down the road who in the front of their garden, what do you see? And it's really irritating. Old cars that they've owned through the centuries and they're all on the front, Right? You think, why can't they move that car? Now, if you're that person, God bless you. But it can bring down the value of the street, the house. Look at that. And there's half a dozen cars. This car rotting. It's no longer got wheels on. All of this junk there. And they've got this in that corner. And they've got this growing there. The fence is broken down. And you look at that part of that real estate. And you think, well, really, it should be tidied up. It shouldn't look like that. And I don't want you to die by metaphor this morning. But what I do want to say to you is that the garden of your mind should be planted with the truth of God, not with the junk of your past life. Not with the junk of your past life. Because God has given us a transformational power in his great compassion, the power of the cross. But the power of the cross not only forgives us and gives us a ticket to heaven, the power of the cross does what? It takes us to a point where we are renewed people, where we are blessed people, where we have peace, where we have joy, where we can have satisfaction, where we can bring all of our troubles and difficulties to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So we've got to be willing to do a bit of work. You've got to work as a Christian? Yes. 
Because God only comes by what? Invitation. Remember that? He'll only come to you by invitation. And the problem is, is that we forgot to invite him into areas we should have done years ago. Three things, practical things I want to point out to you. I am certainly not about to give you a medical explanation of the mind and the brain. But very simply, when I talk about the brain, I want to talk about the organ of the brain. And the mind is what goes on in it. For years, scientific research and some great books have been written in the last 12 months. Um, uh, Such thing as uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf called Switch on the Brain. She is an expert in this whole area. Talk about the fact that, amazingly, the old way of thinking was that you are wired the way you are wired and you cannot change the wiring. So if you've got the DNA, if you've got the thinking, if that's the way that you are, then you are stuck with it. But you see, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that when you come into Christ, you're not stuck with the way you're wired. God comes into your life and rewires the way that you think. So the first point, practically, I want to say this morning when it comes down to the way that we choose to deal with the irritating mice in our life is that you are not a victim. You have a choice. And that you can take control. Your brain doesn't control you. You control your brain. And what you put into it and what you deal with it, it makes that difference. So what we've got to learn to understand, and I learned this many years ago, that I have authority, I have strength, I have the ability to control what goes on in my brain. I am not a victim. Not a victim to that thought, not a victim to that emotions. I'm not a victim because the word of God teaches me that he comes and he transforms my mind. And he not only does it, but he renews it into what it should be in the kingdom of God. And as I'm renewed, I can know the will of God. So first of all, you can take control of your mind. Secondly, and we understand that we can take control of our mind. And, and I love this, this little thought there in, in Galatians. Galatians 6 verse 7 and 8 talks about this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from their spirit will reap eternal life. Where do I sow into my life? Well, the place where I sow is in my brain. And I choose to sow goodness and blessing and all that God has into my brain. You see, you know what you think about the most is what you become. You see, you build things in our mind. The brain has this amazing capacity to build and you have to decide, do I take control back? And the answer for a Christian should be, yes, I do, because I want control and whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is blessed, I'm going to commit myself to see my mind transformed. 
Second point is, is that you can choose what you build in there then. You can choose what little Lego bits you put together. You can choose the construction of whether you want to construct Lego dungeons to put people in who you hate. Lego offense, Lego gallows, or Lego whatever. Or you can choose to build things that are glorifying the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So you've got choice. To build, and what we think about is what we build in our mind. So the more you think in one direction, the more you build it and build it and build it until it becomes part of who you are. The third thing, which is wonderful, is that God, with our frontal lobe, apparently, and I'm not medical, but God, and you know this is true, God has given us the ability to look at our thoughts and stand outside of our thoughts. True? You know this is true. Because you think something about somebody and you think about an issue that really bothers you and is really affecting you. And there's a moment where you can step back and you can look at those thoughts and you can evaluate them and you know about them and you fully understand them. That is a God-given gift. What does that mean? Well, if you can evaluate this thought and you can think about it and you can walk around it and you can take it out for dinner and you can work with it and you can make it more toxic and you can make it more more virile and more aggressive and you can build it and build it and build it and you can step back and you can look at the way that you're thinking. That tells me a good truth that you needn't build something that is dreadful. You can step back. You can look at that issue and you can take a preferable baseball bat and you can hit that thought and start to dismantle it. But how do you do this? Do you do it through positive thinking? Positive thinking. Let me tell you something. Positive thinking is good in as much as it's not negative thinking. Right? But positive thinking is never enough to bring transformation. And you may think, well, all you're talking about is positive thinking. And I would say to you, no. Because there are other elements that we need to apply. You see, the real transformation of the mind comes when you surrender your thoughts to the foot of the cross. The real transformation of the mind comes when it's not just you being positive, positive, positive. I don't need to think this. I can think this. I am positive. Yes. I can do anything. Oh, yes, I can sell this. I can do this right now. No, it is not the positive thinking. It is the work of the cross. It is the work of the Spirit. And it's planting the seed of the Word of God within your mind that transforms who you are. And by the power of the Word of God, you can be free because the Word of God is alive. The Word of God is true. The Word of God is powerful. The Word of God is God breathed. And we have to apply the truth of God to the lies within our lives. So you've got three things I've explained to you. Number one, you're not a victim. You can be in control. Number two, you decide what Lego world you want to build in your brain. Number three, 
You have the ability to step outside those toxic thoughts and you have the ability to cause them to be effectively deleted. Not just through your effort, but through the mercy and the compassion of the work of the cross. So I need to land this. And if you're not a Christian, you're probably thinking, wow, can I really be free from all of this anger that's in my brain? The truth is, yes, you can. Can I really think about my family in a completely different way with love and kindness? Yes, you can. Can I really experience God's love in such a way that instead of feeling frustrated with my work colleagues, I can feel love and commitment and be there as a person of support? You can be a completely different person. That's what it says on the tin of Christianity. You're getting all right then. Thanks, Phil. Good sermon. I like the joke about the mice. I like this. Give me something I can be practical with. Tell me what you do. Well, first of all, can I just say as I, that there are, there are those of us that sit here in the congregation of our size that the thought of the talk of the mind and the brain can be difficult. Maybe because we have had bouts and periods of mental illness. I'm sensitive to this, and I want to say to you that often with my friends who have suffered with mental illness, that the the principles are still the same, but the journey in community is so incredibly important, and that you're sensible in your approach to this, with the community of health workers and the community of friends that are around you. But the truth is this, that it's good to dwell on the glories and the goodness of God that gives you freedom. But it's tough for some of us because on the mental health spectrum, we struggle. I get that. I get it more than many of you understand. But I think we've got to be willing to do a couple of things. And I want to ask you the next seven days to go away from here and choose to do them. They say it takes 21 days to break a habit. But first of all, what I need to do and what I am always doing in my quiet times, in my journaling, in my listening prayer is that I gather together all of those negative thoughts and I write them down. It's a practical thing to do. And when I gather them together, I write them down, I apply them, and I look at them. And when I see them writing down, I bring awe to them. I can step back from them. And what can I do once I've written them down? I've got them stuck on that glue. And I can see what they're really about. And then what can I do? I can apply truth to them, not lie. I can decide what is God's voice in that. What is God's truth in that? What is God's issue in that? And God will often give me a scripture or a truth or an idea, often always a scripture that I can apply to that which I've gathered together and written down. And I hold on to that scripture because it's not just about the mornings. I'm traveling through the day and these dive bombing thoughts come from all different directions, true? And you've got to grab them, you've got to see them, and you need the brick of the word of God to be able to deal with them right there and then. If you're in a traffic jam on Highway 97, if you're about to pick up the kids from school, if you just finish your shift and your mind goes in that negative, 
negative way, you need ammunition and truth to bring those thoughts down. And believe me, if you keep applying the truth to those thoughts, you will tear down those strongholds. So write it down. Apply truth to it. Step back from it again and keep listening to the voice of God's Spirit. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought, take captive every thought, take captive every thought to make it obedient. Obedient to what? That toxic thought, that issue, you take captive. You write it down. You make it obedient. And what do you make it obedient to? Not to you. You make it obedient to who? To Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. That's how you change your life. And you make it obedient, and once your obedience is complete, demolish. I love it. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. It's about dealing with our thoughts, dismantling strongholds bringing thoughts under captivity, but it takes work. Every day. And don't try and do your whole life. (laughs) No, you'll go mad. Because we are such dreadful fallen sinners. It's true, isn't it? We just have so much nonsense flying around. Take one issue, one issue around, and deal with it for the next 21 days, for the next seven days, and then move on to the next issue. One thought and deal with it. If you spend one year doing that, what a difference your year will be. So let's pause. Let me encourage you. It's time to start feeding the rodent in the house with your Cadbury's chocolate. It's time to take the brick in love. True? Are you with me? Are you going to do it? Or are you going to live with what you've constructed? Let's pray.